I have a very special gift for you guys this one time. I'm going to show you through science with Julian how to bring sexy back without the receipt. Stay tuned. What is up, Julian? What's going on, man? Uh, I'm really looking forward to bringing sexy back. And I think a lot of people have heard of how to bring sexy back in a variety of ways. And I think today's topic is going to be a killer insight on one of the trendiest diets or ways of life there is. That is very well said. I think it is becoming way, way, way more popular. The public's eyes and people are starting to pick it up. People are starting to ask questions about it. And without further ado, guys, what we're going to be jumping in today is intermittent fasting and fasting in general. Fasting is this huge trend that's hit us out of nowhere. Most likely have a friend that fasts or someone who talks about fast or have heard of it. You may be coming to this podcast to say, you know, what is fasting? How do I do it? How does it affect me? What are the pros? What are the cons? And that's, you know, from Jordan and I's personal experience and a little bit of research. We're here to help you out. That's exactly what's going to be going down. So. First off, just to catch up as far as Julian mentioned our personal experience with fasting, I'm going to just break it down. I'm going to hit mine and then Julian's going to hit his. So my personal experience with fasting is I've done two different types of fasting. I've done days fasting where, you know, I'll knock out like a, a three day period without eating. Also, I've done the intermittent fasting in the fact of there will be certain times in the day that I do frequently that I will not be able to eat like 18 hours, 16 hours, and even 20 hours. And then the four hours that I have to eat, then I can eat. So those, those are my two fasting experiences. And honestly, the best experiences I've ever had when it came to trying to get my body in the right sort of shape without like extreme effort. And I know it sounds silly, but like truly, it's insane. Julian, how about your stuff? When Jordan and I were living together, we tried a lot of quirky research-based diets and ways of eating. And for a while, I was eating, to be frank, a lot of shit. I was eating like pizza rolls um, on pizza rolls with Pop-Tarts and cookies and all this stuff. And yeah, I was you know a young 20-year-old who can do that. But at the end of the day, I didn't feel good. And so Jordan had kind of gone through his process of intermittent fasting and I took up the process of kind of periodic fasts where, you know, every three weeks or so, I would go 36 hours without eating um, and with like a heavy liquid intake. So trying to drink, you know, a gallon and a half to two gallons of water during that 36 hours to flush out all of my toxins. And when I did that, I noticed there's a ton of, you know, positive effects that my energy was consistent. My brain, I was functioning better. I was a little bit more clear. And it's one of those things that I kind of did because Jordan had talked about it so much that now going back and, you know, doing the research behind it and understanding the history of fasting really makes sense to why it's catching back on in today's society. I'm glad that I kind of spurred you on in that aspect for sure. And like you said, you mentioned the history of fasting. So let's just jump right into that. The prototypical human being's appetite and way of eating, you know, way back in the day was hunter gatherers. So what that would mean is that sometimes you go a long amount of time without finding like food or, you know, killing a animal to eat through the foundation of how we evolved as human beings. We 
almost without a choice had to be intermittent fasting machines in the aspect of I can go a long time without food and then I can eat for a little bit and I'll be fine. Exactly. Jordan has a very valid point there. And ancient societies and the hunter and gather period that you had to find your own food and that sometimes that would take days to get to. And when you get to you compare that to today where we have three to four meals a day, the analogy I like to look at is, you know, you own a car. If you put too much oil in that car, it's going to have, you know, bad side effects. And so, you know, when you look at those hunter and gatherers that they're only eating once every couple of days and their body is getting used to the cycle of how they're eating and they're staying consistent throughout the day is where I went and thought, you know, why do I have to eat? breakfast, lunch, dinner, have a couple snacks in there to be sufficient in my daily routine. And just to touch on what you just mentioned, as far as the four square meals or even three square meals a day, that was founded on a misnomer and a misunderstanding from like a survey from doctors. As far as intermittent fasting goes, another historical place that it's been really prominent is in religion. So you obviously have Ramadan, which is a Muslim religion-based activity, and in Catholics, as far as Lent goes, there are certain types of fasting that they do that are ingrained and in intertwined with religion as well. So fasting has been around for a long time. And regardless if you do it as a personal choice or not, it's fundamental to how human beings have been living for a very, very long time, eons. And further to Jordan's point, people have used fasting as a way to protest a certain stand or viewpoint. As you look at Mahatma Gandhi and his historical fast that And you look at how he did a fast for 21 days to essentially prove a point. And, you know, in in various religions, they're doing fasting to, you know, honor their religion, promote pushing away waste. And that's also what other ancient societies were doing was using fasting as a way to flush out waste and use it as a spiritual healing, spiritual cleansing and a a fresh restart in some sort of way if you're looking at their longer fast. And if you're looking at intermittent fasting, you look at a way to kind of keep the body um, evenly fueled throughout the day. And so now that we touch on somewhat of the history of fasting and where we saw it in the past, I'm really itching to jump into kind of the, the body's reaction to it. So what it normally is like for you guys or everybody listening is when we get hungry, it's like, okay, so it's time to eat, whether it's like breakfast time, lunchtime, or dinner time. What that hormone is, it's called ghrelin. And it's literally called the hunger hormone. And it's formed by our eating habits. So if you eat three square meals a day, you know, breakfast at eight, lunch at 12, dinner at six, that means that you'll be getting ghrelin spikes at eight, 12, and six. And that kind of prompts your body into like, okay, like I normally eat at this time. So I'm going to eat now because it's routine. You can think of ghrelin as the circadian rhythm of your digestive system. And that's why you'll notice if you have a very structured life and routine and you're always eating at the same times, if you miss that meal, why you're feeling so hangry, so to speak, or irritated because your ghrelin is craving for those nutrients and is used to eating at that time. And that's why some people say the first four to five days of fasting, if you're intermittent fasting or if you're doing time-restricted eating, 
is so difficult because that ghrelin is just really fighting to stay to its schedule and you're not feeding it. And that's why some people, you know, you see a 67% drop rate of those trying out fasting within the first two weeks. Wow. I really like that saying this ghrelin is like basically the circadian rhythm of eating. Damn, points on that one, Julian. I enjoy it too because it's so right in the fact of this is the thing that keeps you on your clock. Like this is the the clock for your stomach. The thing with ghrelin too is that it is formed by habit. So when you are getting out of it, within those couple days of intermittent fasting, that's when you're just restructuring it. And through personal experience too, it took about two solid weeks for me not to be hungry during lunchtime or not to be hungry during breakfast when I normally would be. So for you guys just jumping on the train, persevere, you're going to get through it. And another thing I want to mention too is why do you do intermittent fasting? What's the best or like good parts about it? The one thing that I personally enjoyed or the one thing that I saw like, oh, wow, like let me hop on this train is that basically it makes your body more insulin sensitive. So what that means is whenever you eat something, especially like carbohydrates or anything, your blood sugar goes up. And so to manage that blood sugar level, your body dumps in insulin. So when this happens, basically the insulin comes, controls your blood sugar level. And whenever that sugar level drops off again, your body gets low blood sugar and then says, oh, shoot, we need to eat something again because our blood sugar is low. And so it's kind of like a vicious cycle of, oh, I ate something, insulin dump. If my blood sugar is low, give me some food so I can raise my blood sugar level, insulin dump. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. Yeah, I was, uh, I was really caught off guard by the double insulin dump you just dropped on us. But Jordan has a very valid point. If you guys have ever been through that phase, if you eat a very heavy lunch and there's a lot of carbohydrates and say you're eating white bread and, you know, 45 minutes, an hour later, as you're digesting, you get a little tired and sleepy. And that's kind of that huge kick of insulin spiking and coming back down. Once you're cutting this out, it's also helping facilitate fat burning. Another thing that I liked from my, you know, my experience with fasting and when I partake is that the brain-derived neurothropic factor. And essentially this is kind of what some people notice when they're fasting is they're a little bit more alert. They're, you know, a little bit more coherent. And so I'm going to call the brain-derived neurothropic factor, the BDNF, is what helps you generate new brain cells. It's helping to, you know, kick in some hormones and activate these newer brain cells to be made. And that way you're staying a little bit more cognizant throughout the day and a little bit sharper because you aren't being bogged down by all this waste or these insulin spikes. To piggyback off of what you said as far as kind of the abilities that your body has or the things it does when you don't have a whole bunch of insulin in your system is that your body naturally creates hormones like HGH, human growth hormone, to help heal and synthesize more uh, cells in your body. And the thing with HGH and insulin is that when insulin spikes, it inhibits all HGH production. So whenever you eat and your body's digesting that and has to control its blood sugar level, that means that you're not synthesizing human growth hormone and then synthesizing more cells, more muscle cells, more anything in your body. The role in being insulin sensitive and you know maintaining your blood sugar level by not eating 
is the role of your body kind of like rebuilding itself and then building on top of it, making sure that you are, you know, like that your cells are clean, your your muscle is there and your brain cells are there as well. And what we can see here that Jordan's painted this picture of is this relationship between some of the benefits to the body that different types of fasting provides. And so, you know, you see this insulin kind of remain steady so that you can produce HDH and BDNF. And also one of the things that where a lot of people see the results and where it's transitioned to, you know, this diet part is that you start to increase your cellular repair rate through autophagy. And that's the removal of waste cells. Um, so this autophagy is working to prevent wasteful cells and push them out of the body, which in turn can be linked to helping prevent cancer and Alzheimer and other diseases because it's constantly refreshing and repairing itself to push out these harmful toxins that are growing within your body. Really, really good point. And that's another thing that I always, you know, will say to people who ask, oh, why are you intermittent fasting? That's a very important point of the autophagy of cells, just because it keeps your body in a state of, you know, optimal repair mode, as well as like proactive building mode as well. And so you mentioned diets, Julian. And so obviously people are here to hear about ketosis. And so I, we got to dive into that for sure. And so what happens when you enter ketosis after a long time without eating carbohydrates, your body starts to change the way that it breaks down things for energy. Instead of going straight for the carbohydrates, it'll go to fats. And what actually happens is there's this protein called ketones that help break down that fat into energy instead of breaking down carbohydrates into energy. And that is one thing that you definitely get through fasting. If you, one, if you do a long fast, for sure, within the first couple of days, you will be into ketosis for the most part, you normally. And then if you do intermittent fasting with controlling what you eat in your time window, then ketosis is really easy to get into. When you start burning fat for fuel, then you start getting these also like, you know, the energy level spikes again and a lot of cool things happens to you as well. One thing we want to mention is with intermittent fasting and also the diet of ketosis is you have to educate yourself on how you're going to do it because you could be intermittent fasting with a 16 hour window, meaning that for 16 hours of the day, you are not eating and you have this window of eight hours to eat if you make that your window, that you aren't filling your body with junk and that you aren't filling it with harmful waste. And even going into ketosis is one of those things you have to be even more care careful about because if you don't set it up correctly, you can do more harm to your body than you are doing good. So that's why it's important to set a proper foundation and have a little background knowledge going forward into it. Because one of the first things I learned after going on my first 36-hour fast was that I had put junk directly into my body in a large meal right after that 36 hours. And I saw my skin break out and I felt sluggish and I felt, you know, a little foggy. 
because I essentially just dumped a bag of sugar into an empty tank and it wanted to absorb all of this processed sugar. And that's what it did. I'm glad you mentioned that, Julian. When you're going on fast, depending on how long it is or what you're doing as far as intermittent fasting, it's very important that you still get your nutrients. And it's very easy to be nutrient deficient. And so that's another important role of understanding what you're doing. As far as what happens, you know, chemically and hormones in your body, you got to also understand like what you're putting into your body, what your body needs you to put into it and still deliver that just within your eating window. And one thing that also is very helpful that I found through personal experiences, taking like a like a supplement to augment everything that I would be intaking in that day, if there was something that I was deficient in because I had four hours to eat and, you know, I just happened to not get enough vitamin C, let's say, then that daily vitamin would then cover that for me. So I wouldn't have to be worrying about, shoot, like, you know, I've been deficient in X, Y, and Z, and now my body's reacting in this way. So that's one thing that you should definitely consider before jumping into this intermittent fasting pool is figure out what you're going to be doing and, you know, how you're going to cover those contingencies. And with Jordan mentioning intermittent fasting and making sure you're getting in those nutrients, it's also very important to understand what type of fasting you are on. So, so far, Jordan and I have really talked about intermittent fasting and or time, time-restricted fasting, where, you know, time-restricted, you don't eat for 20 hours and you give yourself a four-hour window, very similar to what Terry Crews does. Or you do intermittent fasting where two days of the week you aren't eating, five days of the week you are, which is kind of the more common versions of fasting. But one very serious style of fasting is periodic fasting, which is really difficult because it's going to cut out with other socials, but this one more in particular is going to cut out a lot of your social eating. So eating with friends or you know, celebrating or spontaneously, you know, meeting up with someone for drinks is that periodic fasting is you set a time for I'm going to do this for several days or longer. I'm going to do this for a six day liquid fast where I'm only drinking water. So for that six days, you're staying really committed to, to this fast. And if something comes up, you don't want to break it because you already committed three days in and then you have to restart the cycle. I met somebody recently who went on a 14-day fast. And she said that the way that she felt during that fast was amazing, like the energy she felt and everything like that. Another thing that she did mention is that she was medically supervised throughout that whole thing as well. So when you want to jump into those long fasts and you want to reap the benefits of, you know, HGH increase, increasing like gluconeogenesis, you know, the increase in leucine, like all those that are advantageous and the positives of fast, make sure that your main thing is that you're healthy throughout it all, I think is the huge point that we're trying to nail on right now. All these fasts too, like Jordan says, making sure you're healthy and getting these nutrients is when you're fasting and you've gone from eating three or four meals a day and your ghrelin's used to this cycle, that you're also cutting out your diet as you're eating 3,500 calories a day and you're cutting down to this three-hour window to eat. And in that three-hour window, you're only eating 900 calories or 1,100 calories. Or 
on the same respect, say you're eating the same amount of calories in that window. Um, if you're eating more calories, it's going to be a lot more stressful on your digestive tract because you're going to be forcing all of the meal from all of the meals from one day into two hours. And on the other side, you're going to go from you know, 3,300 calories down to a thousand, which is a, a lot smaller. And we all know how hangry you can get. And it's going to take you a while to get used to eating less and less or your digestive tract get, taking a beating from this large amount of food in a short time. That's a very good point. And one of the points that I really enjoy about fasting, the lower opportunity that you have to take up as many calories as you need. And I think that's why I found it deliver better results for me than even like going crazy as far as like working out a whole bunch and nailing abs every day and running every day is that if you just lower your caloric intake, you can find results that, you know, would take a lot of effort through the gym or exercising. I agree wholeheartedly to some of those points, too, is just understanding yourself and fasting's not for everyone. It's not going to have the same results for everyone. It's going to be different on how your lifestyle is and your habits. If you're, you know, doing some time restricted eating and you're on a strict schedule of every 9 hours or you're going on 9 hours in between meals or 13 hours in between meals strictly and you're waking up in the middle of the night, however that's rotating, it's going to be a lot different from your best friend who used to eating small snacks throughout the day. So understanding your schedule is going to play a huge part into how this fast affects you. Exactly, Jay. And so I just want to, before we sign off and let you guys just jump into the world of intermittent fasting and start it yourselves, I just want to like go over quickly kind of the personal benefits one more time as far as what we've enjoyed from it. If you can give these listeners one pitch as far as your personal experience and what you know about fasting, what would it be? I knew we were going to hit it home with this. Is The best thing about fasting, whatever style you do, is it refreshes your palate. So, you know, when you finish your 16-hour cycle or 36-hour cycle, six-day cycle, that first meal you have back, you're going to taste so much more flavor because all you've had is water or tea and you're going to taste all the flavors that you just get so used to eating because you're eating a million times a day. It's really fun and it's really cool the first couple of times you do it and you never kind of lose it. It's always like, wow, I didn't know that, you know, my chicken tasted this way or I'm a really bad cook and I need to work on it. One of my favorite things about fasting, if I could pitch you guys, is it's kind of subtle, but it makes a big difference in your day. When you don't have specific times when you eat the majority of the time, you save so much time preparing and cooking and eating food. And that's one of the benefits that I really enjoyed is that only preparing one meal instead of about preparing three, it makes a huge difference in what I can do with my schedule and what I can't do and allow my time to kind of fit within those areas. With Jordan saying time, it also gives you a little bit more time to listen to Off the Top Podcast or follow us on all the social platforms at Off the Top Cast. You know, we hope we gave you a foot in the door to fasting or gave you some insight onto what it's like. Email us at the off the top podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Jordan, any final words? If you want to join the archaeologist movement, the fasting archaeologist movement, then reach out to us and we'll see what we can do. Thanks for listening, guys. Oh.